0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the
1: game's top players. Joining
0: us is the all-star.
1: Matt Chapman. with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear.
0: If you make your way down here, I I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the
2: great
3: Chris Townsend. This
1: This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend.
0: Time now for another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We got some heavy hitters for you on this one. The super agent, Scott Boris, will be with us. Dan O'Dowd, former longtime GM. You now see him on MLB Network and also MLB Network and MLB.com. Mark Feinsand will be with us. But we'll start, nobody better in the business than Scott Boris. Well, he's the greatest agent in the history of professional sports. It's great to have him back on the program As uh, last time, Logan Davidson was drafted number one. And Scott Boris with us here on A's Cast Live. It's great to have you back on the field. We're just back here for the second time since COVID.
3: Oh, man, it's been, you're right, smell the grass and feel it and hear the crack of the bat. It's really neat. Well,
0: it was Logan Davidson last time you were here with us. Now, tell us about Max. Obviously, he looks like he's a very special player.
3: Well, I, can, I think you can see after you've talked to him on the phone that this is, uh, the A's have a philosophy, and his psychology and their philosophy fit. They really fit as to the type of players they develop and how they develop. And obviously, they have a skill set that allows them to be, uh, you know, considered at one of the best players in the nation physically. But, but Max is really, really ahead of the game, and he's uh, not at all your normal high school senior at all.
0: No, he's not. And he, he's a good size, and you can see that, you know, in a couple of years what he could fill out to be. And the A's always love taking shortstops. I always say it's kind of like tight ends in football. There's a lot of different things you can do with them. You know, same thing with shortstops. Whether you move them to third, they can play second, they can end up at first base, center field. I mean, you're really taking one of the best athletes in the country.
3: Yeah, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing. This is a player that you can probably say that it's – very very likely he's going to end up a shortstop because of his footwork and you know his uh preciseness with his hands um all those things that i've seen over the years that turn into really good shortstops max has
0: you know and i i feel so bad for so many of the kids and i had to ask him because he's in a a group of kids that hopefully we'll never see something like this where they had COVID shut down. I feel bad for so many seniors in high school, so many seniors in college and guys who were juniors in college and their draft status and how it just changed just for you. And this is the business that you've been in for a long, long time. I mean, as a player back in the day and as the best agent we've ever seen, just, just how, how horrific was this time?
3: You know, um, uh, I actually, my first thing was for the players we work with, I wanted to know as much as I could about the virus and I have a medical training because I studied pharmacology. So I flew to Europe and, uh, and they were ahead of the scale and we had meetings with you know, immunologists and pharmacologists and people to get me inf- as much information as I could gain to determine uh, what was the best thing to transfer to our players. And then when we got back, we had Zoom calls with, you know, uh, the Mayo Clinic with many foremost doctors who were dealing with this. Because we, we had to make a decision as to how we're going to, you know, recommend to the union that represents and what they want to do. And after they learned that, I think that they felt that this is something we could put together protocols to allow us to have a season in 2020. Uh, and then you had the business side of it. Where we had to determine how they were going to be paid and the service time and all the other issues that had to be resolved. So it, it was uh, it was literally uh, you know, seven, eight months locked away and 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 just trying to assist your your players uh, and not being around the game, and they're at home. Uh, so concerned about their well-being because they couldn't work out they couldn't go to gyms they, uh The you know the disruption of what they did Psychologically was so different than anything they'd ever experienced in their lives Because when you're a ball player really since you're seven or eight years old, you know You're playing ball literally all the time and you're preparing to play and what to do and here you're worried about families you're worried about your country you're worried about you know, uh, the unknowns that were in this process. It, it was a very difficult time for a lot of players, and and the recovery from it has been difficult because we've seen a lot of injuries. We've seen a lot of, you know, uh, the demands on the arms and and uh, the interruption of play for the minor leaguers where, where you know, they're not, the draft picks couldn't didn't play at all of, of 2020 and then coming and having to play now, and so, uh, we're starting to see the end of this, where we can get back to a norm, but still, there's a, there, there's still a part of this season that has real concern for me, medically and physically.
0: Yeah, I know. Hey, we we talked a lot with David Forrest and Billy Bean and Dave Cavill about, you know, the real world about keeping guys healthy and keeping guys in the bubble and being safe, because that was, was the main concern. Uh, let's leave with this, because we know you're a big part of negotiations. How do you feel about when this CBA is up in December? where we are with baseball, where we are at the players union, are are you fearful or are you hopeful?
3: I'm hopeful in the sense that we've got an amazing sport who's generating record revenues. So if you've got the ingredients to make the biggest pizza you ever made, uh, we just have to have the tools of how to slice it up and serve it. And so that part I think is one where Um, There's a lot of evidence that was not there from the player side in the last two CBAs, where now we clearly understand that the revenues have exceeded the compensation growth, and I think we have to make adjustments to do that. Uh, We've got a huge chasm in this game between large market and small market, where I'm hoping that performance of teams is a gradient for what they receive in addition to just their markets. So that teams that you know, like the A's or, you know, certainly like the Brewers and teams like that, that are consistently winning and doing well, they get rewarded for it. So they don't pay players who don't play well. I don't think they should pay teams who don't play well. And if they've got a bad administration and they have people who are involved, who aren't doing well in the sport, well, maybe we should put provisions in that they don't get the full reward of revenue sharing and all the concepts that have allowed for, agreements to be met in the past because things were said, things were done, we're going to reinvest them in players, we're going to make these teams better, there's going to be parity and you know what? A lot of those things have not come true and so we've given those set of rules a trial and I think there has to be a, a reflection of great order to determine that the players get the quid pro quo that they used to receive and also that the teams that are run well get rewarded for uh, providing a league and the fans in that league a good product.
0: Well, if you ever want to take on a radio and TV guy, I'd love to have you be my guy. <laughs> it's always an honor to have you on the All program. Right. That's why I love when we draft your guys. We know you're going to be stopping uh, by the stadium. Well, good. Nice to be here, tally. You're really a legend. Is. Thank you so much. Take care, buddy. And a guy that had to deal with Scott a lot, Dan O'Dowd, who is one of my favorites on MLB Network Talking Trading Deadline. He is our favorite GM on television, and we always love having you on the program. And I know you're gonna. Yeah, the
2: only GM on television, probably. That's why I'm your favorite GM on television. Now there's there's
0: quite a there's, between radio and TV there's quite a few of you, but you're 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 uh you're our favorite. And I think about all the coverage you guys are going to be doing uh, the rest of today, and then starting tomorrow here on the West Coast, you're going to be on at 7 a.m.
2: I know. Yeah. We've got, you know, really no other network, obviously we should, but no other network covers baseball the way they do. And so many of my colleagues here, their insight into uh, some of the trade acquisitions and how they break down players is just fascinating to me. It's like every day I show up here, I'm getting educated on things that I knew nothing
0: about. Well, you made a lot of deals in your career. Tell us what, what it's like as a general manager from a buyer standpoint, when you're looking at that clock and you're starting to run out of time and you need to make a deal?
2: Well, it's hard. You know, you feel this tremendous weight of responsibility that your your field staff and your players, everybody in uniform, have put the team in a position to actually do something special. So you, you wear the weight of that responsibility and you feel so much accountability to try to make things happen without being foolish and stupid. I mean, there's there's risk in everything you do, but there's, you know, smart risk and then stupid risk. And it is a fun time of year. I can tell you it's an emotionally exhausting time of year because you have to manage up as much as you manage down, meaning that, you know, as you present concepts and ideas to your owners, it's such an ever fluid process that you can talk about one thing. And then an hour later, you've switched gears completely, which makes it look like you're not sure what you're doing at times. But the reality of it is, The nature of trade discussions, you go down one path with the club and all of a sudden it takes a hard left turn and you could be going down another path that you didn't think you'd be going down when you had that conversation with your ownership group earlier in the day.
0: And and what is it like when you're going after, let's say a guy like Max Scherzer? and you know you're going up against a handful of teams who want the same guy and what he can give you, you know, let's say you know the Dodgers and the Padres or the Yankees or or whoever is in this negotiation. What is that like when you're fighting those other teams for one guy?
2: You know, Chris, for me, it's, you know, people talk about being able to evaluate outside your organization, and believe me, you have to be so proficient at doing that but your internal scouting of your own players is absolutely crucial at the trading time. It's crucial all the time, but you really have to know your players and then you make a list of players that you're comfortable moving. And then you make a list of guys that under no conditions you're going to move because they represent something special (laughs) for your organization as, as you matriculate forward. So, you know, I always was one that made fair offers. Uh, My, dealings with Billy and David in particular in Oakland. I always felt them to be the same way. You make fair, compelling offers. And if it's not good enough, you've got to be able to zig and go in a different direction.
0: Now I want to go on the other side of it. Now you're a seller. So what's it like as a seller, a piece, like let's say a guy is going to be a free agent. You're trading this guy. It's the same thing.
2: Yeah. It's the same way to responsibilities. You know, I, I hate the whole buyer seller. I get, and I understand why we use it. Um, you know, you, you get better as an organization one decision at a time. It just so happens that the trading deadline, you know, and I say trading deadline, anywhere two weeks leading up to it, you get the opportunity to make some really dramatic mm-hmm. baseball decisions that can move your um, organization forward, whether you're winning or whether you're in a rebuild and transitioning to try to win. So, you feel the same weight of responsibility as maximizing what the trading deadline represents to you at that moment in trying to add more talent within your organization.
0: So when you look at what the A's did with Chafin and now Marte, and there's some, you love it. I I love
2: love it. Yeah, I love it. I love it because, yeah, yeah. See, here's what I love about uh, Billy and David is that because of the unique situation of Oakland, Um, They don't really think in years of, in two, three, four year increments. They think like right now, how do we put our club in the best position to win right now? And you know what? I'll worry about what's going to happen down the road um, because it's such an ever-changing situation there. They're not sure what down the road is going to look like themselves, which I think puts them in the position of, okay, we want Marte. We think he's the best position player available in this year's trading market, I could make an argument that they're right. So we're going to give up value to make sure we get that player. And I, and I don't know why more clubs don't approach it that way and don't overcomplicate it with trying to look too far down the road because the game of baseball is hard to predict from day to day, never mind year to year.
0: I'm so glad you said that because that's what I appreciate as a talk show host and having to be around this club is I know no matter what, they are always trying to win. And that, Always. That, is, that I respect.
2: And they've got nine arbitration eligible players at the end of this year. So they're sitting there going, well, we don't even know what our payroll capabilities are going to be at this point in time next year. So why waste the opportunity of worrying about that? And I would say that there's some younger guys in that rotation, especially Caprillian, that have stepped up and put themselves in a better position than Lizardo. And I'm not a huge Lazardo guy. I know the industry is, but you know, how, I, how I look at players and evaluate players, I love the kid's arm. Very, very concerned from the minute I saw him about his lack of body awareness and feel over the rubber, which to me always is going to lead to some moments of brilliance and some moments of real inconsistency. I thought it was a great deal for the Marlins under these conditions because they, it was a rental and now they've got nine legitimate starters down there. And the industry is going to value this kid high because it's a left-hander with a plus fastball. But, again, I think the A's do a great job of evaluating their players, and I I thought they made a good deal, and I thought it was a win-win
0: for both clubs. Two pitchers that I think about that a lot of people want, obviously Scherzer and Kimbrell. Where do you think they might end up?
2: Well, I mean, um, Scherzer's going to end up in one of four places. I feel like the club that needs him the most are the Giants. Um, I mean, I love Gosman. I love Di Scalfani, but I'm still not comfortable starting either one in a game one of a playoff but I'd feel really good about the Giants' chances of competing late into October if they added a player of that ilk, and that team has put themselves in position to be able to do that. I can make an argument they, they really need Kimbrel too. I think that's going to be a huge bite to try to do both. I think the Dodgers, uh, the Dodgers for me, really need Kimbrel. I think there's some definite holes in the back end of their bullpen. I thought Kelly Jansen's had a really, really good year. But I think they're that much better if they can add Craig Kimbrell. And I thought the Dodgers, I'm focusing more on that than I am a starting pitcher.
0: Well, when I knew I was going to have you on, I couldn't wait to ask you this question because it ruffled uh, our fan base. So Seattle takes three or four from the A's. They host Houston. They beat Houston. So they're now right on our tail and they're, they, they have a chance to track down the Astros and then they trade Kendall Graveman to the Astros I'm like, what are you doing? Why would you do that?
2: Yeah, you know, trying to put myself into Jerry's shoes and uh, think about it from his perspective and not the fans' perspective, I would say why they did it is they were a minus 50 run differential. They were below league average at catcher, first, second, left, and center in just production, not talent necessarily, just production. Um, And they definitely, from a starting pitching standpoint, they were below league average there too. And so I think it got down to the point of saying, listen, we value this kid Toro so much that I am willing to run the risk of alienating my team because I feel like this acquisition at this point in time is going to fill a hole at third base for us when Seager's a free agent and all these other younger players and Kyle Lewis comes back so we have a chance to be a dominant player in this division for years to come. So I don't want to think too short term. Now, the converse aspect of that, Chris, is this word chemistry. Because you never know when your window of opportunity is going to open up. I mean, you may think it's down the road. It may be today. But chemistry, is is it's almost impossible to create through transactions. It's impossible to measure that's why none of the analytical people like to talk about it cuz it's not quantified but when you see it you know it and that club had incredible chemistry and so it all gets back to the most important thing which is the evaluation of players if Toro turns out to be obviously a aircraft carrier we're going to look back at this and say jerry made a brilliant move if Toro turns out to be an average player at best he then will be stuck with the mantra that he took away the chemistry that they had developed with potentially one move, I would never take that risk. And when I look at Toro and I look at his background, they really better be right on, on their, his potential moving forward or they really put themselves in a really awful position.
0: Let's end on this. You you were around some really great teams, some teams with a ton of talent And whether you're a GM or assistant GM, what was it like, speaking of that chemistry, when you got a really good team, you go out and make deals and you show that clubhouse you're here to help them try and win a championship?
2: Yeah, whether it works out or not, it's the most rewarding feeling that you can have as a front office. Um, Because, you know, when you you have a great draft, you don't see the results of that for years to come. But when you make trades, you see that on the field the very, very next day. And you really, really feel that you've done your job by putting your club in a better position on the 1st than you were on the 31st. So it's extremely rewarding, and it brings a lot of your organization together as one.
0: Well, I know you're really busy right now at this time of the year, so I can't tell you how much we appreciate your time. And we're going to get the coffee going early out here on the West Coast, and 7 we're going to be watching
2: well, I think the A's may have made a closed shop. I'm not sure what else they need, but uh, you never know with those guys. And they've done it without adding a single uh, penny to their payroll, which is just
0: amazing to me. Good for them. Yeah, it's always uh, it's always fun to watch Billy and David at this time of the year, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's great. I have so much admiration and respect for both of them.
0: Take care. We're going to be watching. Take care, Chris. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye. And also from MLB Network and MLB.com, breaking down a lot of news that's been happening with the trading deadline. Here was Mark Feinstein. Well, we always appreciate having you on the program and obviously a very big week for you because uh sounds like things are going to start heating up here in Major League Baseball before the trade, de- trade deadline.
4: Well, they really have to, don't they? We're, we're only a few days out from the deadline, and there are a lot of contenders in need of a lot of different things, and a lot of sellers looking to, uh, to dump those players before, uh, before they hit free agency, or in some cases, with some years of control left, just trying to acquire some prospects to help them further going down the line. So, uh, yeah, you have to think there's going to be a lot of movement between now and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern
0: well I know for us getting Chafin is going to be great for this show because he's 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 gonna be a phenomenal interview this guy's really out there uh what'd you think about that move for the A's helping out their bullpen
4: yeah you know Chafan's been a really good pitcher for a while and obviously a you know a good late inning guy who isn't really phased by much um you know I think he was a, definitely a good addition for a uh, an A's team that needed a little bit of a boost in the bullpen i'm not sure they're even done there could be more more bullpen help on the way. There's a lot of relievers out there, and um, you know th- that's the most the most competitive area leading up to the deadline is definitely going to be the bullpen. Uh, you know, you talk about some of the big names, the Chris Bryant's, Trevor Stories, etc. Uh, teams have to match up with teams that have needs at those positions. Every contender out there needs bullpen help. Whether you're the Astros, the A's, uh, you know, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Padres, everybody needs bullpen help. So those relievers. Uh, are going to likely bring back the biggest returns.
0: You know, it's so interesting when you're one of the sellers and you have a piece that other people want. You want to hold on to it as long as you can to get the best deal. But then again, you don't want to get stuck keeping that piece. Just talk about that dance between the buyers and the sellers as we get closer to the deadline.
4: Yeah, well, that's why I think the relievers you're going to see a lot of those guys wait until Friday to move, um, because the fact that so many teams are in need of bullpen help, you can, you know, if you're a seller, you can get, uh, you know, two, three, four, five teams in a bidding war for a guy, you know, Craig Kimbrell, uh, Richard Rodriguez in Pittsburgh, and Kennedy in Texas, uh, you know, guys are going to want those those pitchers. And if you can, you know, as the deadline gets closer, the urgency is created and uh, and the bids can go up. With the position players, it's not as, as you know, cut and dry. And, uh, you know, if you've got one or two teams that are interested in, uh, you know, inner Chris Bryan, in a Trevor Story, then you have to decide, is the price that's on the table the best we're going to get? And is that price worth it compared to making them a qualifying offer when they hit free agency and getting the compensatory draft picks uh, at the end of the first round? So there's a little bit of a dance there. Um, like I said, the market is a little narrower for the position players, which is why I think you could see those guys move in advance of the deadline.
0: So you've been tweeting about Max Scherzer and where he potentially could be going, leaving the Nationals and trading away the three-time Cy Young Award winner. Where do, do you think he ends up on the West Coast or do you think he ends up on the East Coast?
4: I would I would put my money down on the West Coast. Uh, I've, I've talked to some sources who said that he has a strong preference for going out West. Uh, he wants to go to a team that he could potentially resign with next year. Um, you know, the Nationals are in a bit of a downturn, and uh, there's some question whether they're going to be real contenders next year. Uh, and Max Scherzer, you know, going on his 37th birthday. Uh, is it a spot in his career where, you know, staying in a rebuilding situation and uh, Is probably not what he's looking for. So you look at the Dodgers, you look at the Padres, you look at the Giants. Um, all three of those teams have the financial wherewithal to re sign them. They're all contenders. They've all got great cores. And, uh, you know, it would not surprise me at all if he winds up on one of those NL West contenders.
0: And with the Dodgers, you still have, wouldn't you say, the unknown of what's going to happen with Trevor Bauer and his problems away from the field.
4: Yeah, no question about it. And, you know, Clayton Kershaw's on the injured list. So the Dodgers rotation, as good as the Dodgers are, uh, there are some questions there. Julio Arias has already surpassed his career high in innings, so you have to wonder, uh, you know, how much can the Dodgers count on him come the end of the season? Uh, you know, Kershaw's health is a question. Bauer's future in general, not just for this season, but uh, long-term is a question. Uh, so adding Scherzer to that rotation would certainly be a boost for the Dodgers if they try to figure out a way to repeat his World Series champs.
0: The amount of star power in Southern California right now with all the great players on the Dodgers roster, obviously they just won the World Series. You got Otani, you got Trout, you got Rendon in Orange County. Then you got Tatis, you got Machado. I I mean, just talk about just the firepower and the star power between those three teams in Southern California.
4: It's really amazing. That's it's almost become the epicenter of Major League Baseball. Uh, when you think about the stars that are out there, with you know, you know, you mention Mookie Betts is, is one of the best players in the game. You know, Betts, Trout, Satis, Machado, uh, Bellinger, Otani. You've got just some incredible players uh, playing within 90 minutes of each other. And the fact that two of them, the Padres and the Dodgers, are uh, you know rivals in that NL West. Forget the fact that a few hours up north, you've got the Giants having this unbelievable season uh sort of what people expected to be sort of a last hurrah as guys like Posey and Crawford and Belt are heading towards free agency. Uh the Giants are gonna have a lot of money to spend this winter too. So they're not gonna go away quietly. You know, they may bring some of those guys back. They may go out and Uh, you know, bring in some other free agents. So California is really very impressive in general. And of course, you know, the A's have have been a contender all year and every year people sort of underrate what Oakland's going to be going into the season. And then every year Oakland goes out there and just continues to play winning baseball. So uh, really, really fun time to be a baseball fan in California.
0: And then I think, you know, A's were just up in Seattle for four and we lost three of four And you're looking at Jerry DiPoto, who probably thought, well, this is a rebuild year, and they got young players, and all of a sudden, they are right behind us, and we were hearing that this last series was really going to decide for them, are they in or are they out? Are they sellers? Are they buyers? I got to think now, don't you think, Mark, that they got to be buyers?
4: I would think so. And I mean, there's no GM in the game who loves trading as much as Jerry DePoto. So the idea that he can trade, uh, you know, to to acquire players to try to win this year, got to be pretty exciting for him given what they've gone through the past few years. So they've got a really bright future. I don't see them going all into the point where they're going to trade guys like Jared Kelnick or uh, Julio Rodriguez. You know, those guys are, are the guys that they're counting on to come up and be a big part of the future now that they've turned the corner on the rebuild. But if they can make some moves to try to get a wild-card spot, uh, you know, a lot of teams don't look at a wild-card spot as being all that, uh, you know, big of an accomplishment. Mariners haven't been in the playoffs in 20 years, and uh, that's that's a big thing up there. You know, when when the Mariners are good, Seattle, as you know, is a great baseball town. Uh, I remember my first year covering Major League Baseball was 2001, and the Mariners had that 116-win season. Uh, And I was out there for the ALCS with the Yankees and Mariners and it was electric and that ballpark gets really, really exciting when Seattle is good. So uh, I think DePoto will make some moves to try to upgrade his roster right now um, in an effort to get to the playoffs, but I don't think it will be at the expense of the, uh, you know, the next five or six years.
0: Yeah, they're they they got a fever up there right now. I mean, they we, we saw it on Saturday and Sunday playing these really close games, and T-Mobile was absolutely packed. And it's just crazy to think that everybody in the NFL, everybody in the NBA, everybody in the NHL, and 29 other teams in Major League Baseball, everybody's been to the playoffs since since, since the since the Mariners. I mean, since they got in and that that long ago. And that's just crazy to think that every of the major professional sports teams in this country have been to the playoffs and they haven't it's just why yeah,
4: completely insane, actually. And you think about, it, they've had some really good players during that stretch too. It's not like they've been sitting here with an awful roster. They've had some years where they've had winning records and been close, but they just haven't been able to get over that hump. And, uh, you know, you think about Felix Hernandez's entire career, uh, you had one of the, the best pitchers in the game pitching up there and they just couldn't, couldn't get over that hump. So, uh, you know, Seattle is a great sports town. We've seen it with the Seahawks. Uh, you know, when they've been good and, and they've had this run here in the last 10 or 12 years, um, you know, how, how much the city gets behind them. And we've seen that with the Mariners. And so I think Jerry DePoto owes it to the fan base and to the guys on that team. And, and the manager Scott service and, you know, they, they've had a really impressive year where they've gotten to a point that nobody thought they would be. Uh, so I think they owe it to them to, you know, go out, get some reinforcements, don't mortgage the future to do it. Um, but they've got they've got enough prospects out there. They've got enough players that, uh, you know, Jerry Jerry's a very creative guy, and I think he'll make some moves to try to, uh, you know, try to boost their chances to get back to the postseason.
0: So with all your sources and everybody you're talking to right now, has there been a name that has shocked you to a point you go, wow, I can't believe that guy's available?
4: Not really. You know, this stuff is covered so, so much now that, Every possibility is basically thrown out there as an option, right? I mean, for you know, ten days ago, I would have told you the Nationals are not trading Max Scherzer. The Nationals are not making any huge selling moves. Then they go out, and have a bad ten days, they get swept by the Orioles, and now all of a sudden, Max Scherzer is the most coveted guy on the on the market. I would say if there's one player that surprises me, um, the idea of Washington trading Trey Turner seems like uh, you know a bit of a, an out there scenario and i think the only way turner gets moved because he's not a free agent he's got another year of control um the only way he gets moved is if a team comes to the nationals and says here's a deal you can't possibly refuse the reason i don't think that's going to happen is a team that is that um you know desperate at shortstop there are some rental options out there trevor story javier baez who will cost a lot less than trey turner and could have a similar impact on this year's race. So Turner is probably the guy whose name is out there that uh, that surprised me more than anybody else.
0: Let's end on this. Whether you're a buyer or a seller, what you're hearing out there, who do you think will be the most active team?
4: Well, I think you look at the Padres and, and just <laughs> A.J. Preller's history tells you that he is not going to be quiet during this trade deadline. Um, so I, I would not be surprised. You know, They've already made a move. Um, and and I don't think they're done. So, you know, they already added Adam Frazier, a, a player that they didn't really necessarily need, right? They had Jake Cronenworth as an all-star at second base, uh, but Frazier can play the outfield. They're going to move him around a little bit, uh, and they've added a good bat to their lineup. San Diego is a team I always am watching for in terms of being aggressive. I think the Mets have a move or two in them. Uh, I, I think a lot of the contenders out there will – We'll try to make a move to sort of augment those rosters leading up to it. Uh, I think Houston's another team to watch. They, they understand that they've got some challenges in the, in the AL West with Oakland and, and Seattle. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think they could be aggressive in, in, in boosting up their bullpen and possibly getting a starter as well.
0: Well, we always appreciate your time, especially during this time of the season where we know you're so busy. So be well, be safe, enjoy this deadline, and let's talk uh, in a couple weeks.
4: Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on.
0: We would like to thank Scott Boris, Dan O'Dowd, and Mark Feinsand for stopping by A's Cast. Now back to A's Cast powered by iHeartRadio.
1: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.